Hi there. Thanks for checking out the New Life Speaker Podcast. All our speakers are recorded live at our AA meeting held on Friday nights at 8 p.m. at the Atonement Lutheran Church in Wyomissing, Pennsylvania. If you don't want to miss out on our newest upcoming speakers, don't forget to subscribe and turn on notifications. This podcast is self-supporting, so if you enjoy this podcast, please put a dollar or two into our virtual basket. The money goes towards the seven tradition and helps fund our meeting. You can find a link to this in the description. And if you know someone in need, please share this with them. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Is this okay? Maybe a little closer. Okay. Extra oh, yeah. Hi, my name is Susan. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, everybody. I'm very grateful to be here and to be sober today and of clear mind today and I'm here to share my story, um, what it was like, how did it happen, and what it is like now, and how I got here. To me, the how I got here piece is the most important, and how I got here and what it was like for me is kind of all interrelated, if you will. Um, My sobriety date, the last drink I ever had was in 2007, um, December 2007 and however I wasn't honest for a long time until it was in my face so I'm cross-addicted and I had a um, a pretty long stint of abusing a pain medication that was prescribed to me and it got to the point where I had to make a decision on the fence again do I want to lie to people or become honest, or continue my path of not feeling good about myself and like a fraud in AA. Um, because just because I didn't drink since 2007, that was my last drink, that doesn't mean I was living soberly otherwise. Um, I have a home group, it's Walk the Walk, as uh, Dominic just said, and I have a sponsor, she has a sponsor, and I do sponsor women. And we say that because we can be evidence of it works. Um, Going through the big book with your sponsor, with my sponsor, and learning how to get sober. Um, I'll start with what happened and how I got here. Not how I got here, but how it was. Um, I was born in Wisconsin. For, lived there for a year, then we moved to Michigan, lived there for five years, moved back to Wisconsin um, until I was 10, so that was another five years, and it was a very small town that, you know, a new uh, Midwest state might be like, and I loved playing with dolls and playing in the dirt and making mud pies and all that. I was just, you know, your typical happy little girl. Um, and then, my dad got transferred to Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And I now realize why that happened, but I did not know it then. And when I, we got, when I got to Florida, the girls down there at, the, at my age at 10 were wearing two-piece bathing suits and dating boys. You know, they were all into boys. And from that moment on, um, my life changed internally. I went to fifth grade class, and back then, they used to have the cards, like Leave it to Beaver, um, what, what was your summer like? And I got up there, and I froze. 
that's all I, all I remember is I froze, and the next thing I know, I was back home with my mom. And looking back, I can now um, put a word to all that, and that was abandonment, um, because I felt like I didn't matter, and I was being ripped away from something, a town that I loved and friends that I loved. So the, f living in Florida, that's where I became very insecure. I, I never fit in. Um, I did learn to swim and I was a great swimmer. So that was one positive thing of that move. Then we lived there for two years, Fort Lauderdale. Then my dad got transferred to Atlanta, Georgia. So I lived in Atlanta about, I don't know, 12, 13 years. That's where I went to high school. And that was back in the 60s, so everything was at your fingertips if you wanted it to be. I had a first drink of champagne when I was 13 at Bruce Schmielbacher's bar mitzvah. <laughs> bar mitzvah. And I'll never forget, we got in the car and my dad says, are you girls giggly? And we just said, yeah. But that, to me, was the first time where I felt safe and I liked it. Then, um, you know, I was on the swim team and then I found the dry goods and I no longer could swim because I'd sink to the bottom and get out of breath and didn't know why. And I became the poster child of who shouldn't be on the swim team. And so I got in with a different crowd and I found alcohol and drugs up until, well, once I graduated high school, the drugs more or less stopped because I didn't like the dry goods. But alcoholism was in my family, and I didn't know my dad was an alcoholic at the time, but it's definitely in my, in my being because of my dad. And I just remember, I could not get out of the house more than I could. I did never want to be home. I was a rebellious kid. It was all about me, self-centeredness. I would sneak out of the, you know, my bedroom frequently, and... <laughs> and I, my boyfriend would sneak in occasionally. And one day, um, my mom, I could hear my mom getting ready to do laundry. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. He was still, like, sleeping next to me. So he gets up and he goes into the closet. And my mom never knew, but I knew, you know. And that was, I became deceitful and sneaky back then. Um, because I didn't want anybody to tell me what to do. I wanted to do it when I wanted to, how much I wanted to, and just leave me alone, I'm fine. Um, while I was in Atlanta, though, I did have two episodes where my life was really in danger. And I'll say this now, and I might refer to it again, but I know my higher power, who I choose to call God, was carrying me from the time I was probably from birth, but I remember going to Sunday school when I was four years old and couldn't wait to learn about God and Jesus. So I really, that was always with me. He was always with me, but I didn't know it. And so then, let's see, uh, graduated high school, got married, and we were in the rebellion times. We didn't want a television or anything modern, so we threw the television off the balcony where we li were living. It was ridiculous. And then we decided we were going to move to Maine, Vermont, or Alaska. We had no idea where we were going. And we had a Suburban at the time, and I made tie-dyed curtains. We took our cat Olson with us. And my poor mom was just mortified that I was leaving, but my brain had already left 
long time ago. And that's one thing I'm sad about at times still because I, I know how much she missed me because she made me sweaters, bought me boots and everything when she knew I was gonna move north. So we went up, we just, we can't, it was kind of a cool experience. We camped out at KOA campgrounds all the way up from Savannah to Ocean Grove, New Jersey, where my husband's parents were living at the time. And his dad got him a job in Portland, Maine, so we settled on Maine. And I lived there for 28 years in Maine. And the majority of my drinking um, and the majority of my drinking was in Maine, but my consequences followed me to Pennsylvania. And uh, I had many relationships. I never lived alone. I was too insecure to live alone. I never, I just always had either my parents or a relationship to help me get through with my life. I didn't know how to take care of me ever. <clears throat> and I'm just now learning that, the ripe old age of 69. Um, so, Lived in Maine for 28 years, jumped from another relationship to another relationship, and I was working at an insurance company for about 12 years, and it was a professional gig, you know, the heels and the suits and everything. And that was a party time with my girlfriends because it was disco days, and I loved to dance, and the drunker I got, the more on the table I got, swinging my hair, you know, the whole thing. And, you know, I thought I was the you know, the shit. <laughs> the shit, excuse me, I didn't want that on recording. But, um, but all my friends saw that something's going on with Susan. You know, she always wants to stay. She never wants to stop drinking. So it got to the point where, okay, well, I just won't tell them. I'll just sneak and drink. You know, they used to hide my keys. And so I became a closet drinker and a binge drinker. And... I'll tell you a couple of um, horrific stories. I, I guess you could call them drugologues, but it's part of my life. Um, one day, I, had been, I hadn't been drinking, this is still in Maine, I hadn't been drinking for about four years, and all of a sudden, one evening, because I was living on a beach in Maine at that time, so I thought, you know, I just want to go to the beach, sit in my car, drink a six-pack of beer, and just, you know, get one with the world at the beach. And the next thing I know, I, I black out, and my Subaru at the time was flipping. It flipped four times. And I had, I just, all I remember is just waking up and rolling four times. And it was in the winter, I was, um, I had my personal thing going on in my body at the time, didn't know it at the time, had cramps and stuff like that. And there was a hotel up on this ridge and I thought, sweet, I'll just go call somebody, you know, and it'll be good, somebody come and get me. I get up there and evidently he thought I was drunk. <laughs> and so the next thing I know, the, the cops are there, the police officers, and I found out that I was going north on a southbound highway. I thought I was in Maine. I was in New Hampshire. So that's where my first remembering remembrance of a DUI. And now I'm in a relationship where he doesn't know I drink and he really loves me and we're going to get married. So my license was taken away, so I just drove anyway. And he never knew about it because, and my 
my hearing was in New Hampshire. So now I had to figure out, I mean, just alcoholism just really rampaged my life and I allowed it to. Um, So my drinking continued into that, to the next relationship. And I couldn't hide it anymore. I was, I used to drink vodka right out of the bottle. It got to that point, but I couldn't drink vodka anymore because I couldn't function. I would just black out immediately. And so I changed to beer. And this was now, this was now about 2000. I'm, I'm jumping ahead. So I worked at that insurance company. Then we moved inward, inland in Maine, and I decided to become a nurse. So. I went, it was back then, it was entrance level was your BSN. So I just said, you know, I'm just going to do the four years and get my RN. And I did. And looking back, I have no idea how I accomplished what I accomplished. I was a binge drinker at the time. And I also had ADHD and was giving medications for that. And I'm, I know I abused that. And that helped me probably do as well as I did in, in, uh, nursing school, and I shouldn't say probably, but, you know. <laughs> so um, so I became an ICU nurse in Maine and did that for about 12 years, and I wasn't drinking in between. Well, I would, it was 36 hours, so I'd plan my shift, yes, my, my shifts for three days in a row so I could drink the rest of the days and get, you know, sober, ha-ha. But it got to the point where all I could think about at, as the shift started, getting closer to being done, like 7 p.m., I, I was just jonesing for drinking. I, could, I just couldn't even imagine going home without something to drink. So I found this little variety store on the way home in Maine, and they sold <laughs> champagne. And so I'd buy like four to five bottles, put them in my backpack, because nurses always have these huge backpacks. I have no idea why, but we did. But I had enough room to stuff them in my backpack to take them upstairs and sequester myself. Well, that didn't, you know, my husband at the time found a champagne cork in the bathtub, couldn't figure out why. And, you know, these, these things are kind of funny and looking back because I'm, we're not a glum lot, and I'm so grateful for that. <clears throat> but it got to the point where I didn't know I had a problem. You know, there was this gentleman who was big into AA. His name was Bud Burke. And he became a friend of mine, and he, I'd hear him talk now and then about this rehab, Karen Foundation in, in Pennsylvania. Um, so, but he'd, he'd come over and he'd try to, he'd try to um, counsel us. But one day when I called him, he said to me, Susan, I can't help you anymore. You need rehab. Now, I didn't really know what rehab was. I thought it was a physical therapy rehab. <laughs> and <laughs> so, and I had been lying to my psychiatrist all this time. So I called my psychiatrist, told him. I just started to get honest. And he said to me, he goes, well, Susan, thank you for being honest with me. But did, how would it make you feel if I told you I went to the Karen Foundation years ago? And I'm, so that was like the second person that said something about Karen. And... I just called Karen one day. I mean, I was at the point where I had to drink 24-7 um, beer. You know, I'd wake up in the middle of the night and I'd get shaky, so I'd drink beer. And 
you know, I was hiding my beer cans down and underneath the sheets next to my feet, thinking nobody would know when I wasn't showering. <laughs> I wasn't showering and not taking care of myself. I didn't know how to take care of myself. And I now this thought just came to me, I wouldn't do dishes. I just put my dirty dishes in the cupboard. You know, out of sight, out of mind. And I think, you know, my, my husband at the time, he was he was done. You know, he was just done. He did he didn't get it. He blamed it on me as a person and not the disease. He still to this day can't get the disease concept, and that's fine. So um, I had a nurse friend that came and stayed with me um, and was divvying out beers to me while I was waiting for a bed at Karen. So we drive down to Pennsylvania. This is 2001. Um, my husband drives me down to Karen Foundation, and it was one of those Pennsylvania rains, lightning. We got lost. We couldn't find it. It was pre-cell phone days. And I was bawling my eyes out. Just, I mean, I, I just bawling my eyes out. Couldn't breathe anything. And so they take me back to where they take the patient and then, you know, give information to, to the partner or spouse. And so I, he drove back home, left me there, and I went to the 30-day program, and it was suggested that I needed <coughs> extended care. And back then, it was the Rose Kearney House in Wild Missing. And so I went there, and sober living, and I had not had a cigarette in 25 years. Well, the minute I hit Rosie's, boom, I was smoking <laughs> again. And I'm like, well, I, I just... So that told me something about my personality, that I have an addictive personality. So I stayed at Rosie's. However, I ran away from Rosie's um, <laughs> for a relationship that lasted literally not even 12 hours because, <laughs> because we got caught. You know, Sharon Matthews was driving down the driveway, and I'm <laughs> driving up to get this guy who's in extended care, puts his suitcases in my... It was, it was just... It was awful. And my poor husband, because... My plan was to get behind the Sunoco there at the, I think it's a step house now, you know, sneaking with my plastic bag. The, the counselors are, you know, they're on break or whatever, and it's a Friday, and I'm looking around, and my heart is beating like I'm going to be kidnapped or something. <laughs> and so my plan was to go to that hotel that's close by, get a hotel room, and have Enterprise bring me a car. And that's exactly what happened. And then that car and me went up to Karen to get the guy. Well, by the time, oh, while I was waiting for the car, <sighs> no, it's really sad because I called my husband and left a voice message that I'm going to have an affair and I don't love you anymore or something and click on his voicemail. And he was, a, he's a good man, you know, and he, two children, they were my, and I was their other mother for sure, no questions about that. But looking back, oh, talk about abandonment. Um, I, as I was abandoned through my life, I have definitely been the abandee, if you will. I've abandoned a lot of people and have been since forgiven and accepted, which is beyond my, beyond my scope of understanding. Um, so, the, so, you know, that phone call happened. So I went and got him, came back to the hotel room, and there's a sticky note on my door 
outside the hotel room, it just said, your husband will be down in the morning. And I'm like, uh, and, and this person I was with wanted to be taken somewhere and dropped off and wanted nothing to do with the situation. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 I'm coming with you, no matter what. I am just so, anyway, then I, I, it's just such a deceiving disease. It makes me such a, it made me such a liar. I mean, I right to my counselor's face, I told her I wanted a divorce because I didn't love him anymore and I couldn't go back to Maine. However, I knew I couldn't go back to Maine. I would have drank, no questions asked because there was just no support there my there was no support and um, I will say this now um, and when I say no support all of my family my blood relatives have died I have no living relative at all so it was like my family was my stepchildren and my husband and his family um, and that has followed okay so let's see so hang on so there was a note on the door he's coming down well he ended up not coming down and the bottom line is I ended up renting this rinky-dink apartment down from Karen for months. And then, um, you know, I hadn't drank through all this, but I certainly wasn't sober. I remember learning that when you pick up a drink, when you, when you, when you put down the drink, your developmental stage is that's where it stopped. So I was still a teenager. I don't know if I'm explaining that correctly, but yeah. yeah. So I was still a teenager in my brain, and I was like, yeehaw, I'm smoking, and I can, you know, go to AA meetings and not knowing really what that meant, but I just felt free. But I was not free at all because I still had an alcoholic mind and an addictive mind. And so I lived in that apartment for a while, and, you know, they say early on, don't. Don't buy, don't do anything major, buy a house, get in a relationship, get a new job, check, 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 all, the, all those things I did. And I, the relationship part um, followed me for about 18 to 20 years to the point where I stayed in a toxic relationship for about 18 years. And... I just, I still pray for this person um, because, you know, I'm alone now and that's okay. However, I never learned to live alone. I didn't know what that was like. And I'm still learning to live alone because I never lived alone. And to, to where I, how I got to live alone with support was the day I stepped my foot out of my house with the toxic relationship ex-husband, my life, I knew it was changing. It was, I had my foot out the door, my hand, my, my hand on my door to go out, and my ex-husband's pulling me here saying, no, I'll be good, I promise, it won't be bad tonight. And I just knew that, I just knew I was going to be in the hospital, he'd be in jail, or vice versa. It just was one of those moments. So I put my foot out, called a friend of mine who said that, you know, she had open-door policy, and one night turned into six, five to six months, literally. And she's not the type that likes to share space, and that's totally okay, but she did it anyway. And it was tough at times because our personalities were a little bit different, but I had a place to live. I learned how to use a cell phone. I didn't know what a smartphone was. I, I mean, I, I just couldn't be a person in that relationship. I, everything I did 
or happened, I would think, oh, my God, what is going to say? <gasps> what is gonna, Nothing logical like, oh, how am I going to be? It's what's going to happen in the back of my life. And when I do this, it's that toxic stuff that I still carry around a bit. I'm getting better at it. Um, and I still didn't drink, but I was in a sick relationship. So, so I stayed with this person for five months. Then another opportunity came up where these folks needed a, um, their house cared for while they were in a Southern place and it was winter. So my higher power gave me places to live, you know, and, oh yeah, I jumped ahead a little bit, but because in 2007, I did relapse. I went back to Karen for 30 days, and I knew I needed to go somewhere, but I could not afford extended care at Karen. And and at that time, it was 2008, and Easy Does It in Burn, Burnville were opening women's a women's unit again. So I became one of the first 10 women that came to Easy Does It. And... Um, that's where I started to learn how to live sober. Not alone, because we weren't alone, but I learned how to live sober, have fun with sober sober people and being sober. And I met my um, dearest, bestest friend slash sister there, and we shared so many times together. And it's just amazing, because I, could, I couldn't drive at the time. I didn't have a car. My license was, um, I didn't have a license. And I needed rides. And this friend, sister, would pick me up at Lowe's at 10 o'clock at night and take me to my job at, you know, 3 p.m. or whatever, whatever the need was, this, this person was there and she's still here in my life. And I'm very grateful. You know, I, I complain a lot about not having family and everybody says, yes, you do. Yes, you do. Well, guess what? I've got to own that, that yes, I do. You guys are my family. People tell me I have family, so I'm starting to believe it. But um, so I stayed at Easy Does It for about four or five months. I still was married to the toxic guy, and that just turned. And so I just jumped ahead of myself, so that you, you know about me leaving. But the bottom line is um, I wasn't really, even though I hadn't had a drink since 2007, I could, when people would say they're joyous, happy, and free. I'm like, I don't, it still was like mysterious to me, very mysterious to me because I didn't feel that way. Well, looking back, I wasn't being honest with me, my support people, my physicians. I was still taking that medication, not as prescribed. The prescriber didn't even know at the time. Well, I ended up in the ER twice and that's where God intervened for me. Yeah, God intervened for me. And from that day forward, when I decided to be honest, honesty, because I called my sponsor right away, and she says, well, you're going to have to have a new date. And I'm like, well, I didn't lose what I had sobriety-wise, but I understand the date uh, relationship because I needed to own that. Um,
So honesty became paramount to me because if I can't be honest to myself, with myself, I can't be honest with you and how can I help another alcoholic if I'm continuing not to be honest? And so what's it like today? I mean, all, I mean, there's so much other stuff that I could stop here and think and do you guys really need to hear it? Probably not because we've all had our own crap show, right? But Alcoholics Anonymous has saved my life. The, the people in this program have saved, they can, you continue to help me save my life. Um, my first sponsor, she taught me some basic things that I still follow today. Um, I had to get a new sponsor because um, she moved and then the sponsor I had after about a year, she goes, Susan, I can't help you anymore because you're just not ready to let go. And I didn't know what she meant, but she was talking about that relationship because that's all I would ever talk about. My counselor, you, here. Oh, guess what? You know, he did this. He did that. I can't believe it. So it was always about him. It was never about me. And now I see that. And I appreciate people listening to me all those times because I got tired of saying it all, but I didn't know how to get out of that. And, you know, toxicity relationships are just as bad as drinking because I was crazy. I kept sitting on that couch wondering, am I just going to die here, you know, from boredom and not doing anything because I'm not supposed to be doing anything because I wasn't allowed to do anything? Or, what, God, what's going to happen? And then that day happened where I decided to leave. And So from the day that I got honest is really started my um, genuine program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and I believe that God brought me to AA and AA brought me back to God because God never left. I, I'm the one that had the veil. And he has just helped me beyond words um, more than I could ever do for myself when I didn't even know I needed it. <clears throat> and there's so much love in this program and compassion without judgment. And we all suffer from a mental disorder and it's alcoholism and it's in our, it's physiological. And if you believe that, then you have, it's like the doctor's opinion. Yes, it's a disease, it's a disease. And like Bill Wilson, he found that without giving away the message of hope, it wasn't gonna work. And today I believe you know, that the 12 steps, definitely the purpose of it all is to get to the 12th step, having had a spiritual relationship and being able to give that gift away. The, my sponsor told me right up front, that when we're finished with the, your, your um, reason for going through these steps is so that you can take another woman and put the hand of God in AA in her hand. And that scared me, of course. Um, but I, I never thought I'd be one of these saying that. But I love AA and I'm so grateful I'm an alcoholic because I have a, um, a map of, of how to live, and I have a textbook of how to help me keep sober and, and keep sober and help others. Um, I'm kind of 
being quiet here. But I'm just really grateful. And gratefulness and honesty for me are two paramount um, things that I have to own today. Because now I can say that I'm happy, joyous, and free. It's not every day. It is not every day. In fact, the past couple weeks, not this past week, but the week before, um, I was in a really funky spot. And guess what? I hadn't been to a meeting in a couple days, a few days. And I went to a meeting, and boom. It was like instant. I felt much better because I was with people who I can relate to, you know, and that go through the same things I'm going through or went through. So I guess I don't want to ramble. I haven't talked that long, but um, I'm just, um, when um, somebody in the back there asked me to speak, <laughs> Chris, on Monday, I said, um, sure. And I'm thinking, well, that was Monday. <laughs> but I'm really grateful that that happened, that I saw him and that he asked me to speak. And I do appreciate um, sitting down because I do have back issues. But you know what? I'm one. Now we're all on the same plane. And it, it, well, but it feels good, you know. Um, I would have stood if my back would have taken it. But it just, I, I just have a bad back. And... Um, I'm very grateful. I don't know what else to say except I'm very grateful and love all y'all. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for checking out this episode of the New Life Speaker Podcast. Please remember that our group is self-supporting through the seven tradition. Donations can be made by clicking the link in the description below, or they can also be found on our website, newlifespeakers.org. Tune in next week for a new speaker, and don't forget to hit the subscribe button to be notified when we upload a new episode. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.